coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. When you are inventing a brand new product from scratch, like a technology product, you know, it's, it's one thing you have to innovate on the problem and solving the problem that, you know, for your users. And so you have to innovate on that. And then there's another thing that's like half the battle or maybe even more. It's like innovating on growth and distribution and how you're going to acquire customers because mm -hmm. no customer acquisition strategy or not even one that you have, you have innovated in is usually the, the, the killer of most startups. And it not like it was just a crappy product. It was a crappy product or it was a good product. It just didn't have any kind of growth engine behind it. You know, there's yeah. no fuel in the tank. There was nothing, there was nothing there to help it grow. And, and, you know, just spending a ton of money on Facebook ads or Google ads is not a strategy. Like, cause you don't have, you can't compete with people that are already competing in those channels. And so for us, we just took it one level at a time. We really just did whatever we had to do to get our first hundred customers. And so how we did that was just pass out door, literally door flyers. Like we mm -hmm. passed out door hangers all over Nashville, Tennessee, you know, 10 years ago where we lived. And so that's how we got our first hundred customers. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Brian Clayton, who is the CEO of GreenPal. So Brian's background is actually in the landscaping business. He had a very, very successful landscaping company that he started when he was about 15. And we get into all of the ins and outs that he had to go through over the course of about 10, 12 years growing that business. He, he had that business acquired and decided to jump into a completely different space, into the tech space, and created a product that serves his old industry, the landscaping industry. So a lot of different twists and turns in this one, a lot of great advice for people that are looking at running their current, you know, physical type business, the the business that we've referred to before in the past as boring businesses, quote unquote boring businesses. And, you know, optimizing that and making that run effectively and what you have to do to, to realize success in a business like that. But then also we talk about a completely different model in the technology business and what they had to do, what they've done over the course of the last 10 years to build that into a very, very successful business. Brian has big goals ahead. He's looking to, to be able to grow his business to $100 million dollars in the next uh, number of years. So so this has a little bit of something for, for everyone. With all of that, I hope you enjoy today's episode of Pass the Secret Sauce. Well, thanks for having me on, Matt. I appreciate it. My dinner table growing up as a child, well, I'm half Cuban. So my mom was a Cuban immigrant came here in the in the 60s when Fidel Castro took over and so a lot of the food that I ate growing up around the dinner table was Cuban cuisine oh wow and it's, it's kind of funny I hated it back then really God, I hated it yeah <laughs> I, I hated it and now here I'm 41 years old and now I love it 
Yeah. And like when I go to Miami and you know, little Havana, I just, I like gobble up all the croquetas and empanadas and it's the same food I hated when I was a kid. So it's funny. That's but, amazing. Uh, yeah. That's, that's usually amazing. what it looked like. Yeah. Black beans and rice and stuff like that. Yeah. Very cool. Did you, uh, did you have any influences like entrepreneurial type influences as a young person at all, or did you just kind of find it on your own at some point? Yeah. So my two parents didn't have, you know, they weren't entrepreneurs, weren't business owners. My grandfather on, on my mom's side was, and he lost everything when, when communism took hold in, in the sixties. And so they say, maybe like I got the DNA from him. And so I like to think about that as kind of a cool story. Uh, I, you know, I kind of pay homage to him and, but I was forced into entrepreneurship actually by my father. He came into my room on a hot summer day and said, get off your butt. You got a gig to do. I, you're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. Mm-hmm. And he made me go cut the neighbor's grass. And luckily he did because I made 20 bucks and for like an hour's work in, in 1995. That was amazing. And I, I was hooked. And I just kept mowing grass all through high school, all through college. When I graduated college, I had to kind of make a decision. Was I going to go into the job market or take a, and take a pay cut or stick with this lawn mowing business I had? And I just stuck with that lawn mowing company for like 15 years, eventually mm-hmm. building like one of the biggest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, ultimately getting that business over 150 people, 10 million in revenue wow. and sold it in 2013. So I learned a lot, learned a lot in the lawn care business on, on yeah. how to grow and scale a company. Yeah. So what were some of the things that you ran into? I mean, obviously you, you, you grew that for many, many years. And you had to balance, you know, you were going to like high school, you know, so you're balancing, you know, all of that, you were balancing your schoolwork and obviously, you know, social life and then same thing through college. Are there any, is there anything that you can point out? Like, you know, so, so many people today are so worried about, you know, the work-life balance and all of that. Is there, do you have any advice on, I guess, balancing all of that in your, in your mind? You know, is there, is there any type of advice that you can give somebody who might be in a similar situation that, that, you know, they're worried, you know, is this going to take away too much from my, from my, my other life, right? Great question. You know, it's a great question. And it's one that I, you know, have to oftentimes give like an unpopular opinion on. And it's like, to go from zero to one, to make something of yourself is hard. And like a business can be the vehicle for you to do that. And, you know, I was a, I was a nobody. I didn't have two, $2 a, to rub together. And, and, you know, be, I retired at age 32 in, in a very non-sexy traditional blue collar business. Mm-hmm. And, and I got there just, just, just through, you know, seven days a week, ran really hard worked my butt off, didn't have a vacation for like a decade. Mm-hmm. And that's what it took. You know, that's what it took to, to grow that business from, from scratch. And, you know, you know, even in early days, you know, going to school at night and mowing grass during the day, like literally showing up to night class with grass all over me and smelling like gasoline. And, you know, and then, and then that was, you know, like level one of the game. And then, and then graduating, getting to level two of the game, if you want to like use like a video game as a metaphor, you know, every level has its own unique set of challenges. And mm-hmm. as time goes on, you're, 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 you're doing three things. You're, you're working in the business. So in my example, I was mowing yards, like literally physically, and then you're working on the business. So then you're developing systems, processes, routines, marketing mm-hmm. systems, you know, customer service systems. And as time goes on, those get more robust. And then you're also working on yourself. You know, if you have more than like one employee, you know, you have a few employees, you need to start learning skills around management and leadership and things like that. And so it's like, you're reading books, listening to podcasts like this, and you're watching, you know, stuff on YouTube that you never in a million years would have watched. And, 
So it's like there's not enough time, there's not enough days in the week. Like you, you it's a seven day a week sport. At least, at least that's been my experience. You know, and with both companies, that that business and now my current company, GreenPow, it's like, it's really like the whole life energy that you have is thrown into this project, mm -hmm. and that's what it takes to succeed in business. Yeah, no, makes makes perfect sense. And you, you, I'm glad that you you brought up, you know, the the self improvement or or the the, uh, you know, the idea of realizing what might be lacking, you know, in your management style in the business, and then, you know, going out and, you know, a lot of times that that obviously is driven by the the owner of the company, you know, they don't necessarily see that there's an issue there. It's, you know, go, 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 you know, we got to get this done, we got to get that done. And now we're over here and do this and that. And, and there are no like real processes, procedures, methods, there is no real improvement. Did you did you kind of start walking down that path as well, where, you know, again, it just seemed like things were all over the place for you. And then, you know, kind of like a spark struck that said, you know, hey, I've got to, I've got to solve this and solve, solve that problem. These are, you know, big things that we have to, to, to focus on. I, I guess the, the question would be, did you do that? And then, you know, can you give any type of input on recognizing those types of, you know, patterns or, or things that are happening in a business that, you know, you, you should be paying attention to and realizing that, hey, I got to go and find some extra help or, or, you know, I'm lacking in this area, I got to learn about this or whatever it may be. Does that make sense? Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I probably spent five years stuck in the, the rut that you just described, where it's mm -hmm. like every day is, it's just chaos and it's like you're managing by just by way of a fire hose putting out fires and and you never can get over that hump like you never can get any court of any any sort of like sense of like calm and ease in the business and and that's that's definitely happened to me i've spent years stuck there and you know i kind of just you know like just got through it this just through sheer perseverance but as time went on and, you know, I started like reading books and started learning more skills and things like that. There's three books that really kind of like codified the things that I did. And had I read them then, maybe I could have done it sooner. <clears throat> and so one book is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Dr. Stephen Covey. And one thing that he talks about in that book is that most people run their lives and particularly their businesses dominated by things that are urgent and, and non-important. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and they may even be urgent and important but they're dominated in this quadrant of things that are urgent and, and maybe important or non-important. And, and like, like you just spend your whole life there where you really need to kind of like dedicate time towards is the things that are important, but aren't urgent. Yeah. And so that's things like, like developing your leadership style, like really looking at the company culture, looking at your employee recruitment and retention process and system, looking at what is our retention system for, for customers? How do we make sure customers are happy? You know, like focusing on one of these little things at a time and like and spending time in that quadrant of things that are important, but aren't necessarily like burning the house down today is where you really level up. And that's where you really kind of get out of that rut of just like mm -hmm. organized chaos or even unorganized, unorganized chaos. And so looking back, like that's something that like just knowing that would have helped me, like even like just coming in on a Sunday and just, you know, when the office isn't just buzzing and like really just, just focusing on what are those things that like we are, we are dealing with every single day. It could be a customer is pissed off about one thing that's we're screwing up all the time. How do we fix that? How do we develop a routine and a process to fix that? 
And so, uh, so that's something that, that, that if I could go back in time, I would do differently and it would save me wasted years. Uh, two other books is E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Yeah. You know, that book is, is about the fundamentals of small business. And it doesn't matter if you're running a huge company, a tech business, like what I run or, or a lawn mowing business, like what I used to run reading that book is table stakes because it really helps you understand and go through the motions of developing an org chart. Even if it's just your name on like every role, like you need to go through the exercises of that. And so it kind of tees you up to be able to delegate things as you grow the business. And then another bit, another book that I like is, is the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And, and, you know, that book is not about, it's not about working four hours a week. It's about really understanding what it means to delegate and delegate well how to develop specifications so you can delegate to freelancers, contractors, and employees to where it frees you up to do higher leverage things like what I just mentioned, that, that those things that are important but aren't necessarily urgent this moment. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. What, what are some of the, I, I guess, the, what, what did life look like after you went through that transition, after you started to realize you know, I've got to work on myself. I've got to work on you, know, these processes and systems. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, fire hoses and all kinds of fires all over the place, you know, over here. What did your business turn into, you know, once you started going down that path and putting those things in, in place? Yeah, for me, you know, it kind of like, it was like boiling a frog, you know, until one day I was just like, man, I, I was driving to the shop one day. And at this point, I probably had a hundred employees and I just had this gut like pit in my stomach. I didn't want to go there. I hated it. I hated the culture. I hated, I hated, I mean, it sounds terrible, but I hated some yeah. people that worked for me. Yeah. And, and then I realized something is like, well, you built this, Yeah. you know, it's like, like as a founder, as a CEO, as a, as a, as a chief, you get exactly the vibe and culture and the business that you deserve because mm -hmm. it really is an extension of yourself. Most small businesses, you know, if you're doing them right, it's just like scaffolding around the founder. And uh, that's how it was for me. And I had to like come to the realization that, you know, I built it and it really was a reflection of me and my attitude and my vibe is why, you know, it sucked. And so I had to like go through a long, painful process of of rebuilding it, uh, the culture from the inside out, mm -hmm. rebuilding like why we did what we did, you know, really trying to figure out, you know, what my employees needed and wanted and how we could build a system to, to, to get them where they wanted to be. And it took like three years. But, you know, that's one of the cool things about business is that the marketplace is a relentless arbiter of feedback. It's always going to tell you where you suck and it's always going to like tell you where you need to improve. And it can, it's like one of the best like personal development exercises you could ever do yeah, is starting a company and one also one of the most humbling. And so that's how it felt for me. And it was like, I did it wrong for many years. And then I kind of had to like, like undo all of that stuff. And, and then when I was able to build my second company, Green Pal, I, I was able to avoid a lot of those mistakes. Yeah. You know, I've never, I've never drove, driven to the office at Green Pal and, and hated it. You know, yeah, I've, yeah. I've never, in fact, I've, we've been, we're like a 10 year overnight success. And and I haven't worked a day in 10 years. And so yeah. it, 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 it really, you know, you kind of have to do these things wrong, get the experiential wisdom around how to do them right. And uh, if you're smart, you can shorten the time that you spend learning and not waste like five, six years like I have. Yeah. Yeah. What on either company, have you gone through and done like your, your core values and all of that to be able to, you know, define who your culture should be or the types of people that you want to bring in or attract into your company? Yeah, I think like going through that exercise is and, and setting the culture, it's just so damn tough because it's like 
it's hard to get it right. And it's, yeah. and it's like so often, like you write these values on a chalkboard, on a, on a whiteboard and, you know, honesty, trustworthiness, hard work, determination, whatever. It's like, what does that really mean? Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. And for me, what's worked, you know, in 20 years, is like, it's not necessarily values, it's virtues. It's like, it's what are we actually doing? Mm -hmm. And, and, and we're all kind of doing that that way. And mm -hmm. so some virtues might be for us, you know, at Green Pal, we're, we're like the Uber for lawn mowing. And, and really all we care about in life is growing the, the, the revenue of the small business owners that use our platform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If we focus on like materially improving the livelihood of landscape contractors that use our platform, then everything else just kind of takes care of itself. And so everything we do manifests itself in certain virtues that like map back to that. And like, if you're not on the bus for like helping contractors grow their business and really caring about it, then, you, then, you know, you don't belong here. And right. so yeah. that's how we look at it. That's, 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 and really like less is more like really like distilling it down to like one or two things and like only worrying about those. And, and it's like, I've screwed this up so many times where, you know, you try to like, you try to bring in consultants, you try to like rah, rah, the team around some BS and it just never works. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be something like genuine and authentic that everybody gives a shit about. And, and, and if, and if you don't have that, then like, you know, then it's not good. And it's like, maybe you should don't even worry about culture. If you're not going to do it that way. That's, yeah. that's, that, that's been my experience. Yeah, no, and, and I, I agree with, with that as well. It's actually interesting. So, so I'm a big person on the core values. And I, I did the exact same thing that you described too, where, you know, it was a word and then, you know, a definition, you're trying to define what that word means to you. And I was actually on a podcast. This is probably about a year ago now or so. I was on a podcast and, and a guy was going through his core values and, you know, what a, what a difference it made, you know, in his, uh, in his uh, business life. And what I realized with all of his with all of his um, uh, core values, which you kind of said the exact same thing, is all of them were all action based, right? It wasn't right. just one single word. Right. It was you know it was an action. This is what we're going to do. This is what you know. This is how we're going to you know lead or present ourselves or whatever it is. So after we after I went through that, I I you know kind of reframed everything and and changed the the core values i mean still the same core values still meant the same thing but just made it more of an action-based thing like so rather than collaboration it's i'm honored to push your broom right so yeah, meaning yeah you know your your everybody needs to understand that you know if somebody needs help you know be willing to ask for help and be willing to to jump in and help so yeah yeah maybe so, it's humility and it's like you yeah. pushing the broom you know yep, it's like it's, exactly it's like it has to manifest itself in something real in the real world and what we're doing 
in terms of virtues, uh, if not, it just gets put in a filing cabinet somewhere. And then, yep. and then, and then like a year later, you ask, you know, if you have 10 people or hundred people, you'll get 10 or hundred different answers about what our culture is and what our values are. And, yeah. It's so hard to get this right. Like, it is. you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here being like, you know, tongue in cheek about it. It's so hard to get it right. And, yeah. and in my opinion, don't even worry about spending time or thinking about doing it unless you're going to do it right. Cause then it yeah. just comes across as inauthentic. And, you know, I have made this mistake where we'll bring in a consultant, we'll bring in a team to like rah, rah, everybody. And like, try to figure out what our values are. And it's like, it's just such a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So you jump from, you know, a very, you know, blue collar type business into a tech business. What was that transition like for you? I mean, was it, did you understand code or understand, you know, those business models when you decided to jump into GreenPal or what, you know, what, what led you into that, you know, into that industry or into that business? Obviously you had a background in it, but. Yeah. Yeah. I did not. I, I, I had an idea and that was it. And I knew it was a good idea because I kind of saw it every day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like, what it meant. you like, that was your background. Like that, that you know, was your it. business was that. Yeah. That was the only competitive advantage. Like the only thing I and my co-founders had going for us was that, was that like my tacit experience of, of and the scars. The problem was like, I had just built up an eight-figure business and sold it. It was like the biggest acquisition in the in in that particular industry in like five years. And so I, I got this big head now, and I'm riding on this high horse. And I think I think that I know everything there is to know about running a company and growing a company. And like, and I thought, well, you know, a tech startup should be easier because it's software, and the software just does what you tell it to do, and it's not all this you know equipment and trucks and people and, mm -hmm. and pain in the ass customers and all this stuff and. And uh, luckily, I didn't know what I didn't know. And it was almost like naivete as an asset. Because if I know how hard it was actually going to be, I never would have done it. I just just would have done something else. But yeah. luck, luckily, we just got in there. And we started figuring out as we went, you know, we didn't know how to build software, we didn't know how to design software. Out of the gate, we made a big mistake, we paid a de development shop, you know, uh, an agency to build what we thought the app should be based on like mm -hmm. this idea that I had. And that was a total failure. We wasted like 150 grand doing that. And then we're confronted with the reality, like, okay, if we're going to be in the tech business, we got to learn how to execute tech. It's, it's like, looking back, it's as stupid as starting like a five-star restaurant with no chef yeah. and wondering why no customers want to, want to give you a hundred a plate or something like that. And so it's like, it's, so we had to learn this stuff ourselves and we just went to every online code camp we could units, YouTube university, and it took a long time, like probably in the end, almost three years, but we learned how to develop software. And like based on the feedback that people were telling us is how we iterated and made it better and better and better. Here we are 10 years later, we have a few hundred thousand people using the app, which is great. You know, we ended our first year with 27 people using the app. And so now yeah. we have a few hundred thousand and, and, and uh, doing multiple eight figures a year in revenue. So we're, we're doing good now, but whew, the first few years were really tough. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, that makes sense. Did you actually learn yourself how to code too? Yes. I had to learn how to do front end engineering. I'm a terrible front end coder. Yeah. My, my back end, my uh, co-founder <laughs> learned how to learn how to do back end coding. He actually went to a boot camp yeah, that was like nine grand and it was nine months long. And so he, he went to that every day and then coded on the project at night and put the nine grand on like a credit card. It was like, I mean, it was such, it was like so hard. It was so scrappy, but, but he learned enough to, 
to, to build the next version. And then after we got some acumen around this stuff and like kind of learned the 80, 20 of what software design in, and, 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 mm-hmm. and development is we were able to then delegate the right way. And so yeah. like delegation by way of abducation, which is like, I don't know how to do this. It scares me. I don't want to learn how to do it. You handle it. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. usually a disaster. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happened to, to us. And then, and then, but delegation from stewardship as is like how you should delegate. So it's like, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's why we do it this way. This is how we do it. This is how long it should take. This is how, what we expect the quality of it to be. This is when we expect you to have it back. And uh, that's stewardship delegation. And so that's the, that's the way to delegate, but you really can't delegate in that, in that manner until you kind of understand what the hell it is you're doing. And so that was yeah. kind of the, the, the ticket price that we had to pay and it took a long time to learn, but we did it. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the 80, 20 rule there, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer this. Are there any specifics that you would suggest if someone is, you know, in your shoes, doesn't have a coding background, are there any, you know, the, the 80% that you, that you shouldn't know, or I guess focus on the 20% that you should know anything that stands out that, you know, you should understand this part of it. And, and that'll take care of a big you know, portion of whatever, whatever it is that you're, you know, trying to accomplish. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in terms of software development, it's really tough. Cause you can just go down the rabbit hole on this stuff and just and spend weeks on, on inane things that, that, that almost nobody even knows about. And it's yeah. like, so it's, so, so it's tough. So Reed Hoffman, who is the dude who uh, founded LinkedIn and like really successful venture capitalist says, if you're not completely embarrassed by your first release of your product, then you waited too long. Yeah. So that's usually a pretty good, like yardstick. It's like, it's okay to be embarrassed of, about it. It's going to suck. It's going to be buggy but you need to learn enough to eat, just get it to that point of embarrassment. Yeah. yeah. Just get it to the embarrassment point. Because if you spend, you know, a year trying to learn some like niche library, like, like Node.js or angular or something like that, you don't have enough time. You, you need, you need to learn the basics and, and then learn enough to get something out. That's embarrassing, get a hundred customers on that and then make a little bit of money and then they go get somebody who's an expert at Angular. They've been doing Angular for five years and, and get them in that slot. At least you know how to put them in a slot now. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, beforehand, you didn't even know what any of this stuff was. And so I guess the, 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 the thing is, like, in, you have to get to a point where you can at least put out something that's embarrassing. If you, until, like, if you can't put out something that's embarrassing, then, then you got to get to that point. So that's, yeah. that, that, that would be the 80-20, like, I guess, rule of thumb that based on my experience. Yep. That makes sense. And then, you know, you've had quite a bit of success, you know, marketing your, your company, or at least, you know, acquiring customers that that's quite a customer base. Any, any advice on how to market a technology company? And, and I'm assuming your, I, I think your product works with both, you know, the, the, the customers, you know, meaning the homeowners or, you know, people who would actually need the service done. And then it also works with the service providers as well. So you're, you kind of have two different demographics that you're trying to go after. Actually, this is another, another question that kind of comes to mind too. So you kind of have a chicken and an egg problem, right? Mm-hmm. You know, right. you, you can't get the, the, the service people, you know, to, to use it until you have the customers and you can't get the customers until you have the service people to be able to support it. How d- does that make sense? And how did, how did yeah. that overcome or how'd you overcome that? 
Yeah. So when you are inventing a brand new product from scratch, like a technology product, you know, it's, it's one thing you have to innovate on the problem and solving the problem that, you know, for your users. And so you have to innovate mm -hmm. on that. And then there's another thing that's like half the battle or maybe even more. It's like innovating on growth and distribution and how you're going to acquire customers because mm -hmm. no customer acquisition strategy or not even one that you have, you have innovated in is usually the, the, the killer of most startups. And it not like it was just a crappy product. It was a crappy product or it was a good product. It just didn't have any kind of growth engine behind it. You know, there's yeah. no fuel in the tank. There was nothing, there was nothing there to help it grow. And, and, you know, just spending a ton of money on Facebook ads or Google ads is not a strategy. Like, cause you don't have, you can't compete with people that are already competing in those channels. And so for us, we just took it one level at a time. We really just did whatever we had to do to get our first hundred customers. And so how we did that was just pass out door, literally door flyers. Like we mm -hmm. passed out door hangers all over Nashville, Tennessee, you know, 10 years ago where we lived. And so that's how we got our first hundred customers. And then we were able to interview these people and really learn about them. Like, where do they, you know, where do they hang out at online? You know, how do they usually, how do they usually solve this problem of finding a lawn cutting service? How do they usually like, if their lawn guy flakes, how do they find another one? And what are the things they care about? What are the problems they need? And so really kind of going through that process of interviewing as many of these people as we could is how we began to formulate a customer acquisition strategy. And then, and then really, and really dial it down and like betting the company on one channel. Mm -hmm. So in the early days, like you're, you're not going to be good at five different channels. You're not going to be good at Instagram stories, Google AdWords, organic SEO, Facebook ads, print and radio at the same time. Yeah. You're just not. So you have to really kind of like test these things and figure out where there's some signs of hope and then like just double down and go all in on that one channel and spend two or three years learning it, two or three years really figuring out how you're going to compete in it. And for us, we bet the company on, on Google organic search. So mm -hmm. when people search for lawn mowing service nearby me or lawn mowing service, you know, Indianapolis, we pop up as one of the choices to consider in the, you know, top three. And, yeah. and like, as simple as that sounds, it's really difficult to compete in, in, in that channel because there's a lot of work that goes into competing in, or, in Google organic search. And we've probably in the last decade, however much resources, effort, time we've put into building the application for push a button, get my grass cut, we have put just as much effort into how do we compete in Google organic search because that's just what it takes. And, and so it's like, start small, like do things that don't scale, even if it's passing out door hangers or, or just like, you know, a good one these days, maybe the, the new equivalent is like Facebook groups. Like every city has a dozen Facebook groups with 70,000 people in them. And, you know, a lot of times they're posting stuff, looking for whatever the thing it is that you have, and you can yeah. just like grind out, you know, hundred customers that way. But whatever the thing is, that doesn't scale, do that, get a hundred or 500 customers. Then you'll learn how to, how to scale a customer acquisition strategy. Yeah, love that, love that. And I think you touched on a couple of different good points there too, where you know people will go out and they, you know, again today it's like you mentioned today it's Facebook and tomorrow it's going to be Instagram and you know they now they see something over here for Google AdWords and they try to do everything all at one time. And that's I, I think I kind of alluded to this, you know, in the beginning where you know, people are all over the place with what they're, what they're trying to do, you know, and then nothing gets done. Right. So yeah. just focus on one thing and you'll know, get good at that. Like you're saying, and, and then, uh, you know, you'll get progress, you'll learn something and then tweak from there rather than, you know, trying to go out and do 
you know, this, that, and everything. So yes, no, I love so that. much of on, so, so much of entrepreneurship is saying no to things that, that are a distraction and really just doubling down on the things that are already working and doing them better. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is like that stuff usually sucks. Like it usually is not fun. Yeah. You know, if you're good at SEO, like you don't want to write a bunch of blog posts. You don't want right. to do a bunch of outreach to journalists. You don't want to, but like literally like that's, that's usually the best path. It's like doubling down on things that are working. Now, if it's not flat out not working, like you've spent six months and you've really worked hard on it and it's just not a fit, you got you to gotta pivot to something that is. So it's, it's, it's like a, uh, the way I put it, it's like a, it's like a, a relentless, it's like a persistence and in, in like flexibility is what it is. It's, it's like, it's like a relentless, relentless persistence in figuring out what works, but being flexible about it, like a yin and a yang. So you can't yeah. just be like, you can't just like, like just spend three years on something that's not working. You have to identify when it's time to pivot to something else. But the problem I see is a lot of new entrepreneurs is they only spend three months and it just didn't like, it just like they build it and they didn't come. And then they pivot to something else. Like, well, if you just kind of like maybe spent a year on that thing, maybe you could have got it going. And so it's, it's both. Yeah. Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. What's, um, what's next for green pal? Are you, obviously you guys are are trying to expand in that, but uh, anything on the horizon that you're, excited to announce or talk about or anything along those lines you know we are we are expanding into every small market throughout the united states which is just like there's 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 a thousand of them and so building it from the ground up in a uh wichita kansas or or a you know you your 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 cities that don't have pro uh teams and so that's like the next year and then there's some and then we want to expand it to canada uk and australia and then beyond that, we, we need to get this business over $100 million a year in revenue. And so that's probably the next three to five years. I'm not a big five-year plan guy, like, but, mm-hmm. but I know like we have one goal. We need, to get, we need to get it to nine figures. And so doing everything we got to do to do that. And by the way, like that directly maps to what our, what our really our why is. It's yeah. like putting more money in the pockets of guys that, and gals that make a living cutting grass is why, why we get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, I love it. I love it. If people want to learn more about GreenPal or you, your services, what would be the best way to reach out and get in touch? Yeah, if you live in the United States, you need to get your lawn mowed. You know, life's too short to mow it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, just download GreenPal in the App Store or Play Store. And then anybody who wants to get at me, you can hit me up on Instagram, Brian M. Clayton. Love it, Brian. This has been fantastic. Lots of great, great nuggets here you know, for, for new and experienced entrepreneurs alike. So I certainly appreciate that. And uh, good luck in the future with, uh, with Green Pal. Thanks for having me on the show, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.